absolute insane joy. That's how Evelyn Araluen felt after she was awarded the 2022 Stella Prize for her book of poetry, Drop Bear. I, like so many others, have been newly energised by the writing of a new generation of First Nations storytellers and writers, and for me, none more so than Evelyn Araluen. Her motivations to write Drop Bear were not about money, but a desire to ensure more Indigenous perspectives are heard and stories told. A descendant of the Bundjalung Nation, Evelyn credits learning the language of her ancestors as giving her a larger breadth of knowledge and techniques when it comes to writing poetry. I had the pleasure of speaking with Evelyn recently as part of Radio National's Big Weekend of Books. I am absolutely just like so thrilled to be able to speak with you about literally anything but about books. Just a dream come true. Oh, so lovely. I guess I'll start with a big picture from your reading, from your writing, from your travelling around at writers' festivals. What is your reflection on the state of words in Australia right now? I think we're at a really exciting time for literature in a few different ways. And obviously, like, My big focus on that is talking about First Nations storytelling all of the time, but it is broader than that. There's a really strong community of writers who otherwise they just don't think would have been allowed in the room or would have been able to have access to the kinds of traditional publishing channels that we're seeing really like embrace diversity and embrace the richness of different forms of storytelling today. And, you know, that's been a long, hard-fought battle. It's not like everybody just woke up one day and decided that they care about migrant storytelling about refugee storytelling, queer storytelling and all of these other different forms of marginalities that often just don't get the mic. But we've got a really beautiful and rich time now where I think that we're We've got the energy, we've got the momentum to really celebrate that work as opposed to just position it always in a place of struggle and always put it on these niche panels talking about lived experience but never getting to talk about the creative work that comes out of lived experience. So I'm loving the festivals. I'm loving, you know, looking at all of the new publications coming out. You know, there's still work to be done, but I think we're absolutely moving in a much stronger and really just much more politically, culturally, socially representative kind of energy in our writing spaces at the moment. You make such a good point about how First Nations writing is positioned at festivals as a real reflection of what's changed in terms of the industry and the community as a whole. And I remember First Nations writers getting really frustrated that all they would be put on would be the the panel on First Nations writing. And now you see First Nations voices peppered throughout because, you know, actually we can talk about a range of things. I wanted to talk to you about what your inspirations were as a reader, but before that, what were your key influences growing up outside of the written word? Uh, I mean, Blackfellas, we have a very rich storytelling tradition and that's mostly not on the page. And so growing up, sitting in rooms and hearing other mob speaking around me in a story that might include, you know, different political histories, different family genealogies, cultural stories, dreaming stories, that interweaving is something that 
really comes out so strongly in the spoken word, but particularly in the conversation. You know, it's not simply this extracted voice of like a singular person telling telling one story. It's how that gets bounced off of somebody else who remembers another piece of the story. And then somebody who comes in and says, oh, but did you know this one came back to here? And all of these kinds of, these really interwoven ways of telling a story. Aboriginal people, we have a really strong sense that you don't need to start and finish a story in the places that Western storytelling would constitute as a beginning and ending because you have that assurance that even if you only tell a part of the story, you're going to see that person another time and keep, you know, that story is going to keep being woven and and spoken into. So I think that that did something to my brain that meant that I don't write in a particularly linear way. Poetry particularly allows you to kind of tell parts of a story or to create images as opposed to giving a full explanation for something. And I really like that. I I think that it's a pretty natural form of expression for Aboriginal storytellers today. You know, when I was really just freshly starting out writing poetry, which was, you know, not even that long ago. I was reading Ellen Van Neuven's Comfort Food, which is a really beautiful collection. And then, you know, getting experimental stylistic inspiration from Alison Whitaker, who was also publishing um, her first book around the same time, Lemons in the Chicken Wire. Again, like that's how we really build up these rich and very diverse storytelling communities. It's by engaging in a community of writers, a community of storytellers, as opposed to the isolated act of just sitting down and absorbing a book. I was reflecting on how easy it is as a First Nations person to lean into your book because the way that you approach story would seem unconventional to people outside the First Nations community, but it feels very natural to us. I think that's one of the reasons it struck such a chord with so many in the community. And the other thing that I love about what you've said is I I always say, you know, you can't be a writer without being a reader, but actually you've made me realise that actually you can't be a writer without being a good listener. You know, there's that lovely saying in our culture that true knowledge comes from listening, not speaking. And it does explain why when I read your book, I thought you were much older than you are. <laughs> I also love that you've done a bit of a shout out to two of our really fabulous new emerging poets as well. But I guess I would also like to ask you what sort of books were influential for you growing up? Well, it's interesting you ask that because I think that you know, so I was growing up in the sort of the late 90s and 2000s when, you know, there was definitely a lot more investment coming up in Aboriginal storytelling, but these were also the Howard years. And I think that there was so much pushback against, you know, the celebration of black culture that it was actually not, you know, there was writing out there, but it really wasn't getting into the curriculum because I think a lot of people were quite intimidated by the political discourse going on at the same time. So, I feel like, you know, while I had definitely like an awareness of writers like Udrunu Knuckle and Kevin Gilbert and Jack Davis growing up, 
I didn't get access to the same kind of richness of black storytellers on, you know, the page that young people can get now. You know, now you can walk into a bookshop and you've got incredible children's books like Amy Maguire, um, Amberlynn Quay Mullina. You've got like this beautiful, really rich representation of Aboriginal culture right from the absolute get-go. But to be honest, growing up, a lot of the stuff that I was reading, because I was a pretty insane reader, you know, I was reading English literature and it's one of the it's one of the reasons that I found After Story, you know, your latest your latest novel, like just so compelling because it was like Della was going through the canon of everything that I'd felt that I had to read, you know, like I, I wanted to be a reader. I really, I had fantasies of being a librarian before I was, I was ever planning on being a writer. And that, that journey and after story I find really compelling because it was about the, the, you know, it was really kind of performing that way of, you know, looking straight into the eye of these texts and the legacy that they, they claim and how they constitute an idea of like, what is good literature and how, you know, how do you become a good reader? Oh, well, it's by reading Jane Austen. It's by reading the Brontes. And I read them and they still have an interesting influence over me, but it, it wasn't until, you know, getting into uni and it wasn't really until going to like the Koori Centre at University of Sydney and seeing these books that I'd never even known existed that I really actually started to think of my own writing as including and centering Aboriginality in thinking about writing about the land that I grew up on as opposed to just this abstract idea like, oh, if I write a novel, it has to be set in England or America. So I'm just infinitely grateful for the spaces that collect and centre and present Black books to Black kids because if we don't actually really interrupt the otherwise very whitewashed bookshelves or library shelves or bookstores, we're never actually going to get people who are going to come to that space and look at it and go, you know what, this could be me as well. I could have a book up here and it could be about me and my family and my community as opposed to just talking about these really far off ideas that for most of us are never something that we're going to be experiencing yet we're taught is supposed to be the pinnacle of storytelling. First of all, I love that you dreamt of being a librarian as opposed to an <laughs> astronaut or a ballerina. That's fabulous. But you do kind of remind me of the fact that I feel really privilege that I grew up with, you know, the Western canon, but I had this um, storytelling tradition and this way of seeing the world in my own culture. And so I feel like my upbringing was richer because I had those two perspectives as opposed to everyone who only had one. And um, I guess that was one of the things I wanted to explore in After Story is that, you know, we we grow up with these two traditions because we visit we visit one when we go to school and we have the one that we have at home uh, that's, that's, you know, part of how uh, probably more deeply how we're shaped in seeing the world. But it does make me wonder how you as a First Nations writer feel about how you communicate with your First Nations audience as opposed to a non-Indigenous audience. I just feel like we do have these two different audiences and I know from my own experience, you know, there's a certain way in which I want to connect with a First Nations audience, exactly what you were saying. I want people to see themselves on the page. I want them to connect with the ideas and the issues intuitively and certainly when I read your work, that's how I feel. But, you know, I also want non-Indigenous people to see this world that I know and love. I was just wondering how you as a writer see your dual audiences or your multiple audiences, really. 
Yeah, that's really the the biggest challenge, I think. And it's one that in various stages of trying to really conceptualise Drop Bear, it was a real, you know, it was a real issue for me. When I was writing some of the poems of Drop Bear, which are very, you know, some of them are very angry and they are really engaging very directly with signifiers of Australian settler colonial literature, I was at certain points kind of really worried that it would come off that I was prioritising that anger, which was in a relationship with settler coloniality as opposed to centering love and tenderness and the intimacy for family and for country. And it was a journey to get the book to a point in which I felt like the project that I wanted to enact, which was an honest and entangled dialogue about what, you know, Australian literary but also broader kind of artistic culture has done to our land and how we are, you know, simultaneously speaking back to that and also really like sort of structured by it, if that makes sense. So, it, you know, I, it wasn't until I got to a point where I realised that the upbringing that I'd had where my parents did really try to encourage us all to read and to surround us with books that were about Australia, whether or not they were by black authors or not, you know, they they just wanted us to read stories that looked like the land that we grew up on, you know, that was not a unique experience. A lot of other Aboriginal people had grown up with Snugglepot and Cuddlepie and Blinky Bill and Dot and the Kangaroo. It was a familiar intimacy. And when I thought about a project of critique that was really about acknowledging that these are not, you know, these are not legacies that just go away as we get older, the way that these books influence our understanding of place is is really hard to shake off and that you know this book my book could do something about acknowledging that and trying to I guess not necessarily deconstruct but kind of clear a little bit of space where we could talk about we could talk about it without feeling like we were completely beholden to it and that was a project that I felt could benefit other mob so you know (laughs) there's there's poems in there that I want people to feel like they're not just speaking to mob, they're actually just speaking to the whole of Australian literature, the whole of that artistic literary culture. Um, and, you know, if there are poems in there that mob feel don't speak directly to them but help verbalise how we want to speak back to that culture, then I've kind of done the best that I possibly could have done, I guess. Well, you have done that because I'm actually currently writing some nonfiction at the moment and I've used a couple of quotes from you to um, start whole chapters. So I'm just saying, if that was your goal, you're doing really well. And I love that too, you know, you've been doing this, my work for decades and I can still read you or read Alison Whitaker and I see words that explain what I've been trying to say, but I haven't been able to say it in that way. And, uh, you know, I love that, that our writing keeps giving us a language and a dialogue. Evelyn Aralu, and it's been such a privilege to spend this time with you on the big weekend of books. Thank you so much for having me. That's poet and researcher Evelyn Araluen. She was speaking with me on RN's Big Weekend of Books.